0: And welcome back to another episode of the MDCP Project podcast and joined today by my um, ever faithful cohort, Sam. But today we are pumped to have the one and only Mr. Pat Barber jumping on the podcast. How are you, gentlemen? Doing well.
1: Doing wonderful. Have a great day so far.
0: Mm -hmm. And it. Just got yeah, sorry, Scam
1: Likely was calling me. I don't know oh. what their deal yeah. was.
0: Oh, well, there you go. Someone's probably just put, you know, a random $20 million in your bank account, but they need your pay ID to do it. They um, just need send my statement.
1: social security number. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. But then we'll give it all to you. It'll be fine. Um, mm-hmm. So it's great to have uh, you on here, Pat. Um, talking about our Million Dollar Coach project, it's about having helping coaches uh, have longevity in the space you know we need more coaches not less coaches but to have longevity they need to be able to earn an income and you know if they really want to aspire to be professional coaches and you have certainly had a long and storied history in the coaching landscape but across you know several other fields as well so we thought this was a great opportunity to chat to you about how you you know uh sought opportunities created your own opportunities and and struggles you've had along the way as well
1: yeah yeah yeah, I'm happy to talk about it. I mean, it, like you said, it's been a long, sorted history of many different, <laughs> various, <laughs> various opportunities in little places, and uh, so I'm happy to talk about anything you guys want to yeah. talk about.
0: Awesome, mm. Sam. You want to kick off?
2: <clears throat> well, I I've been so fortunate to to sit on the other side of a screen from you a couple times now, and so I I feel like I've heard this before, but I can never assume that. Everybody is doing the same things that I'm doing. So <clears throat> I would love for anybody who's listening at home for you to just give them like a, a synopsis of kind of quickly how you came to CrossFit and not so much, you know, your accolades, which there are many, you know, in terms of like competition and stuff like that, but more so your occupational history in the space Kind of like, we'll do like 30,000 foot view and we'll kind of go move back and and dig into them as we go, if that's okay.
1: Sure. Absolutely. Um, it, it, for me, like to, you know, put it on the front end, every bit of growth that I've had has been pretty organic. Uh, it it was just from, you know, one step to the next. I'm, uh, I talked about this recently with another podcast, but I'm not naturally very ambitious when it comes to long-term goals where it's like, I really need to be doing this or chasing this or pursuing this. I like... I'm pretty content just being, and then when, but I'm also really willing to just say yes to opportunities. So when someone's like, "Hey, what do you think about this?" I'll be like, "Sure, let's try it, even if it's scary." So like that's that's where I have excelled. So my initial start into this was um, I was you know in high school. I was went to college uh, for about a year. Uh, Hated where I was going. Came back up to my hometown. Went to a community college, um, and I was studying voice and musical theater at the time. Uh, and working at a restaurant, doing room service and just, you know, I loved it. I, I lived in the middle of an apple orchard and uh, the corner of a barn and, you know, waited tables and and made my money in tips and would buy DVDs, which I, I've got a great DVD collection. I don't even know if I, anyone needs a DVD <laughs> collection these days, but just fantastic. I'm going to inherit send that thing to my kids. There anyway, uh, wasted a bunch of money on DVDs, uh, you know, lived a really kind of, you know, a really low key life in the sense that I did what I wanted to do. I played beach volleyball. I did CrossFit and I, uh, you know, had this little tiny house with no responsibilities. It was awesome. Um, from there, I one day quit my job working in room service and drove by CrossFit, uh, HQ, which was CrossFit Santa Cruz, uh, the very first gym. And this was in like 2004, no, 2006, five, six, right around there. Uh, and Tony Budding, who was the media director for CrossFit at the time, he was there, uh, working out and he was my old teacher. He was kind of who got me into CrossFit and I told him I had quit my job and he's like, Hey, we're filming these seminars and we're flying around. Do you know how to do any sort of filming? And I was like, I have no idea how to do filming, but I would love to learn how. So he taught me how to, you know, he he took me to his house, sat me down in front of an old laptop with uh, final cut seven uh the demo version and was like how you do a blade tool and this is how you add text and i i i spent like 10 hours editing a video of annie sakamoto uh doing a power clean one from the front one from the side and i had to sync the two and like Literally, it was maybe a thirty-second clip. It took me like ten hours to do because I had <laughs> oh, no idea what I was doing. So I just I sat there and I grinded that out for a while, and then uh, from there he was like, "Hey, we can't pay you, but we can fly you around the country at all these seminars we're doing, and if you would be willing to hold the camera." And I'm like, "Do I get free food?" And they're like, "Yeah, man." So I'm, oh, free food, I'm in. <laughs> so I started flying around the country, and uh, at the time, CrossFit had seminars that were. Um, all the specialists in their individual fields came mm-hmm. together and would teach the seminar. So Mark Ripito would teach powerlifting, you know, Rob Wolf would mm-hmm. teach nutrition, Buddy Lee would teach jump rope, Greg Glassman would teach all the CrossFit stuff. You know, there was, there was, and it was just, it was a kind of conglomerate of all the, the, the specialists, which was fantastic. So I just got to go see these, you know, Titans of their perspective spaces speak on the subjects that they were passionate about and great. So my job was to film and edit the video or film the video. Uh and we didn't have like specific things that we would film. We'd film the entire weekend, start to finish, every single second of the weekend. And uh at home I'd go home and we'd upload it all on the computer and then I'd sift through an entire weekend worth of footage and try to find uh, a clip. And then I'd take that clip mm-hmm. and I'd edit it down and then I'd edit it down, and I'd edit it down, and then eventually put that out on CrossFit.com. Um And that process kind of forced knowledge into my brain, uh, because you're watching and rewatching and watching and rewatching and, you know, uh, and it was some fantastic coaches. So at the same time I was doing that, I was also coaching volleyball. I had gone back to my old high school that I taught volleyball at and started coaching there. So I was kind of, my revenue streams were that, uh, coaching the volleyball, uh, and then, uh, I would get free food from CrossFit. So that was (laughs) great. Um, and from there, uh, eventually, uh, one of the local CrossFit Santa Cruz split into multiple gyms. Yeah. Um, and it went because Greg moved to Arizona. So he, he no longer used, uh, CrossFit Santa Cruz. So he gave the name CrossFit Santa Cruz to Danielle and Hollis Malloy. Uh, sorry. He gave it to Greg Amundsen mm-hmm. and Mallie Amundsen at the time. They moved it across town. And then the Annie Sakamoto and that crew opened up another gym called CrossFit Santa Cruz Central. And then another gym opened up called CrossFit North Santa Cruz. So there was all these different Santa Cruz CrossFits um, and CrossFit Santa Cruz, the original, they needed some coaches and they were like, Pat, you've been going to all these seminars. You coach volleyball. Do you want to coach? And I was like, <laughs> sure, man, this sounds great. You know, like my only experience up to that point in time was attempting to coach my girlfriend. And I was really bad at it. And I was like, I can do this. Why can't you, you know, like that was my, my coaching method at the time. Be better. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. So, but the way they, they, they used to do classes like the original CrossFit, um, CrossFit Santa Cruz, the very first one, it wasn't like you got given a class time and a bunch of people in that class. It was actually, you got given, like there was a slot maybe in the day where it was like, Hey, there's no classes at this time. Mm -hmm. If you want to start a class, you can, but you got to fill it. Right. So that was that was it. So like at at that gym they were like, "Hey, we've got a 3:30 slot, you can have it." And I was like, "Cool."
2: So real 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 quick. For anyone who cuz this is unheard of nowadays, yes. right? Like you open a box and Google CrossFit and SEO does its work and like people just show up at the box sometimes. You had to bring clients oh, yeah. into the box. You created that class.
1: Yeah. That and was so the only me, way. And, and CrossFit didn't even have a name. Nobody knew what it was. So it was like the only people you would get would be like your buddy who was right. like, I see you've been doing it. And you're like, yeah, come on, man. Try it. Yeah. And then his friend. And then his mom. <laughs> and then, you know, like it was it was about as organic as it could be. And due to the nature of the fact that I was, what, 20, 21, and I had oh, so. no responsibilities and it was just like – And I sucked. Like, when you start coaching, like, you suck. And, like, especially then. There was no such thing as great coaches to even emulate. There was, like, mediocre coaches at best who were good at some things and bad at others. And it was, like, we were all developing as a community. Hmm. Methodology was the same. So there was still a great amount of success in it. But just the quality of delivery was so much lower. Um. So yeah, I started up my little 3:30 class and started with one of my buddies from volleyball. Started he would pay me in SpongeBob checks, and I remember being really stoked on that. And, uh, uh, and uh, then you know I would get a couple housewives randomly would be like, I'd like to take this 3:30 class, and and then that class got bigger and bigger. Then they gave me some more responsibility in some other places, and that was my coaching career then. And and I would make money based off of that, and I, I made very little. Uh, mm-hmm. Eventually CrossFit started to being able to pay me for videos. So I'd like, I'd make a video. And if I made a video that made it on main site, it'd give me like 200 bucks. And I was like, yes, you know, like 200 (laughs) bucks.
2: Right. Um, Talk about a meritocracy,
1: Dude, my, my rent at the time was like 150 bucks. So it was, it was, that was a month's rent. If I could make a little video that made it on site. Um, So from there I ended up uh, eventually coaching enough and going to enough seminars that I was like, I think I could coach a seminar. Like, I think I could do this. And, uh, what could have go done, wrong? He well, here's the crazy part. So like these days when you get on level one staff or if you're on level one staff, there's a binder that has all the lectures. That's like, this is how, this is what to deliver. This is like, these are the points, these other stuff. Back then there was no notes. It was like, in order for mm-hmm. you to deliver a lecture, you had to watch the person the weekend before and be like, okay. I'm going to write down what they do and then do it the next weekend. Mm-hmm. So there was like, it was, it was hard. Like, uh, uh, but you know, uh, I had a pretty good advantage of watching so many seminars and filming it so many times that I could go back and do that. And uh, eventually I was like, can I, can I try this stuff? And I got the opportunity to coach a small group at one of the level ones that I was filming at. And, uh, from there, uh, Dave Castro and Nicole Carroll just sat right behind me with a clipboard and just wrote on their little clipboard as I'm like coaching these people who are paying a thousand dollars through like the air squat, you know? And and I mean, it was probably mediocre at best, but it was good enough for them to be like, all right, man, we can start letting you do this. And, uh, that was, that was my intro into doing the CrossFit seminars and uh, Mm -hmm. CrossFit seminars. They started off, I think you made 250 bucks a seminar. So they'd pay for your travel. They'd pay for your, uh, uh, food. Uh, and then, and then other than that, uh, you made two fifty a seminar. Um, and so that was great for me. I was teaching like two, three seminars a month and uh, I was making that money. I was making my money from coaching at my local gym. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I had some money coming in from my volleyball that I was teaching. Uh, and I had very low overhead and low responsibilities. Mm. Um, eventually I started working more with Tony, uh, budding, doing more video stuff and working the back end of the website and doing whatnot and he was able to pay me for videos, uh, when I could make them, but he also gave me a place to live. He, he bought a new house and he had this like trailer on the back of his property. And he's like, you want to live there? I'm like, hell yeah, I do. <laughs> so, so it was like, it was like, I, I didn't, I didn't have to pay rent all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so now I had this trailer and I was there and I was like, Competing in CrossFit and, you know, the, I, sponsorships at the time weren't money. They were like, dude, we'll give you, like, I got sponsored by Perfect Food Bar. And that was yep. amazing. I'd get unlimited Perfect Food Bars. And I was like, oh, this is great. Um,
2: <laughs> free food, free place to live. Living yeah. On high. And,
1: and at the time, everyone was swapping t-shirts. So I got free clothes, too. So it was just this, like, <laughs> when, man, like life is good. Nice. Um, so... I never knew what I kind of wanted to do Mm. long-term. I still don't know what I want to do long-term, but uh, (laughs) these days my responsibilities are a lot greater. So I have to make smarter decisions. But when I, when I was able to kind of like, you know, grind it out back then was, you know, I was young, full of life, and I could go and coach more and more classes. And uh, eventually I met my wife now, uh, Tamarin, and she owned CrossFit New Zealand, which was the, the, the first gym in New Zealand, hence the name CrossFit New Zealand. Uh, And uh, in order for me to go work out there, I wanted to be able to, you know, travel. Uh, And I couldn't do that if I was working for Tony. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I was like, oh, what do I do? And Tony and I had kind of come to a head of like, in order for like, Tony is a workaholic and I've, Mm -hmm. I've worked with many workaholics, people who just, they love work. They like they love to just put their head down and work. And it's like it's uh, I don't understand it because I don't work that way. But but uh, they just like wake up at four a.m. They do their little workout. They just grind all day and then they go to bed, at, you know, midnight and they wake up at four a.m. and they do it again. And they just love it. Like it's it's part of what makes them tick. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not that <laughs> like the the term of like. You know, uh, live to work or work to live? Like, mm-hmm. I definitely am not a live to work guy. I'm like, mm-hmm. I work to to live. Uh, so, the luckily, I have a lot of jobs that I really enjoy, and I've I've, I've kind of made that for myself. But we'll get into that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Tony, Tony, we came and sat down one day, and like, I saw my what I could be within CrossFit Media, and I was like, you know what, Tony, I never want to be you. <laughs> And he was he was like, Well, that's fair, you know, and like that was, if if I wanted to be more in media, that's what I'd have to do. So I ended up hiring or we ended up hiring Rory McKernan uh to come in and hmm. take over for me. So like I was Hell like so,
2: hilarious.
1: Yeah. Right. So like he came up to Santa Cruz and we met each other and we, you know, like I showed him what I did and he took over my role for Mm -hmm. what I was doing for media. And then he actually went and made that something really special for himself with like announcing and games and like, so he just did an amazing job, but I never had, I seen that as a potential. I might've even stayed in it, you know, like that kind of stuff entertains Mm -hmm. me. Like I, um, but I could never see that. He made that so special. Um, So at the time I wanted to go to New Zealand i quit working for hq and i happened to do a seminar on the east coast uh over at uh crossfit medford no crossfit medfield i, I don't know it's a brick building it's an all brick building it was lisbeth Lizb- darsher's old gym do you remember oh uh, uh watertown Med- Med- watertown i think it's watertown yes watertown.
0: Yeah. yeah crossfit watertown yeah. she used to have yep, yep.
1: i think yep. so yes uh, she's wonderful yeah. and and, uh, I ha- there was the only one I'd ever done on the East coast. You know, like I, I, I had never gone to the East coast before up to that point in time. I go out there to teach it just randomly one week. And they ask me and teaching the seminar is, uh, I think it was Jason Ackerman. It was me. It was Chuck Carswell. It was, uh, there was a big, it was a big gig. It was, uh, uh John Gilson from again, faster mm-hmm. and, uh, like two other coaches, um, but uh, Austin, that was Austin Maliolo's level one. So I taught that that weekend oh, and met, met Austin and put him through his level one. He's like, I'm going to be a competitor. I'm like, okay, dude, whatever. Um, <laughs> anyway, so, so we're, we're there doing the thing and and uh, and we go and sit in the hot tub afterwards after mm-hmm. day one at the seminar. John Gilson comes down, we're all hanging out and he owned again faster at the time, the equipment company. Yep. And I was telling him my plans, like, hey, I'm going to move to New Zealand. And he's like, hey, you can work online for me and do customer service. And I was like, cool, I'm in. Yeah. And I was like, I have no idea how to do it, but let's do it. Yeah. And uh, so he hired me um, to basically build quotes, answer phone calls and do customer service. And I could do that in any country because I just yeah. needed to yeah. have an internet connection. Um, yeah. And I kind of had like an off hour schedule because you know New Zealand has that weird kind of yeah. day ahead, 10 hours behind, whatever it is. <laughs> Um, and so I moved out to New Zealand uh, and started working for John Gilson. And at the time that was like probably one of the higher paying jobs I could do. Like he, Mm -hmm. he, he was paying me like 3,500 bucks a month and I was like, hell yeah. Like I had no responsibilities, like none. (laughs) Uh, I had stopped collecting DVDs so I wasn't wasting all my cash. Uh, and, uh, so John Gilson starts paying me like 3,500 bucks a month to, to work from like 8 a.m. to about 4. So like mm-hmm. 8 to 4, I'd work. Um, and some of that time, I could just kind of be on call. So I could sure, like go sure. to the gym and do my stuff. Um, but other times, I would sit and, and build quotes and whatnot for affiliates. So they'd call in and they'd be like, hey, and I'd be like, hey, Pat Barber here, again faster, how can I help you out? Mm-hmm. And at the time, I kind of had a name in CrossFit. So they'd be like, like the Pat Barber? And I'd be like, I mean, yeah, yeah, but like, yeah, and then so, so like, I got to chat with a bunch of gyms, which is really fun, and it was a a pretty organic back and forth, and I, I earned money doing that. I mm-hmm. coached a little bit at my wife's gym at the yeah. time. Uh, she she was super successful; like, she already had plenty of coaches, and she was you know making plenty of money. And like, we lived in this cool little house right on the beach uh, in a little town called St. Helias. Um, and then I was teaching level ones, and the way level ones work is like, I think it's every like hundred seminars or 50 seminars, you get Mm -hmm. a pay raise. Maybe it's thirty. I don't know there was. It was like every number of seminars you get a $250 pay raise. So I went from like 250 to 500 to 750 to thousand to 1200 to 1500. Like, and I mean, I've, I've taught hundreds of seminars now. So it's like, that has just been like a steady growing chunk of change now. Uh, And you're taking on more and more responsibility as you do it. But that's kind of always been there. And it's never been something that I've relied upon. Like that's Mm -hmm. my income. It's always just been extra. I never treated it as like, it's going to happen because that's not the nature of that. Like there was people who got hired by CrossFit full time, but that was never me. I was Mm -hmm. like one a month, maybe sometimes in the the busiest of times I was two a month. Right. Um. But I use it as just like a bolster of like, if shit hits the fan, I could always ask for more gigs, you know? Yeah.
2: (laughs) I think there's an important detail buried in there that like, you're like, I was never full time. I was one or two a month. Yeah. So yeah. 26 weekends in a year is part time on staff. Yeah. So like full time would be what? 50, 50 weekends in a year.
1: It was a lot. Yeah. I mean, it was a lot. It was like every weekend. Yeah. 50 weekends yeah. in a yeah. year almost.
2: And I, and I, I mean, it's, I've been very, very fortunate to, to work with and be coached by people who are on staff. Um, and I only knew about that maybe in the last two years. And yeah. I was kind of shocked when I heard it and I was yeah. like, son mm. of a bitch, those, there's just a lot more that goes into that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And anyway, sorry. When, I didn't when you realize. think
0: about it, the weekend really does take you Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday to get back to wherever your life. So you've really dropped and then get home, change your bag, yeah. grab another bag yeah, again. and away you <laughs> go way back, back to back. Um, yeah. it's yeah. Do you I mean, it was wonderful. Like,
1: I mean, it was, go ahead.
0: Yeah. I was going to say, do you feel like, you know, all those having sort of that in your back pocket and then also, you know, as things come up, being able to pivot to opportunities, allowed you to be more resilient throughout, you know, trying to forge a while well, you figured out what it is you wanted to do when you grow up, like that, well, <laughs> you know, if, if the shit hits the fan, I can ask more from HQ. It's like, well, what's the worst thing that could happen right now? Yeah, you know, you tend you to have that attitude. Do you think that that was has served you well as you've progressed through your, you know,
1: absolutely. Uh, I think that just, attitude. I think that attitude literally anybody can have if they want to. Like most, if if any mm-hmm. anybody who is able to listen to this podcast, mm-hmm. like if you have the capacity to pop on a podcast and listen to it. Like, you have the time in the day, the the headspace to do so. Like, the reality is, no matter how shitty things got, it's still better than many people in this world. Absolutely. Like, mm. And if, if you can genuinely believe that, it makes things a lot easier. It, it also makes it easier that I, I don't like – like, I was – I'm very content living in the corner of a barn, you know, with, with like, not washing my clothes. And, and like, I, I – like, that <laughs> – that i don't know why i'm content with that i didn't grow up with money so it, but i wasn't poor by any means like mm-hmm. it was just like i don't know i i yes i am i think that resilience and that the 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 ability to walk things backwards and just be like well it's really i'm i'm in a really crap situation right now but if if crap really hits the fan yeah i'm still in a better situation than most people i know right. like that's yeah. and and that's yeah. got me to to many, many different places. And, and I think there's like acute times where stuff will go really poorly. And I'm like, damn, it just feels like nothing is going right. Mm. But even then, like in the most stressful of times, like I can revert back to being like, well, if it really gets bad, I could sleep on my little brother's couch. You know, like, Mm. and Mm. uh, I mean, he happens to be a pediatric doctor who makes plenty of money. So there's, (laughs) okay, there, it's a
2: real nice couch.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a great couch. Like, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Still can't afford a house in Santa Cruz, though, with the prices. That's wild. A freaking doctor can't do it. Freaking A. Um, anyway, um, so where was I? Yeah. Well, so, you're in New Zealand. You're working. We're, we're in New Zealand. Open. I'm working, spending and saving money and just kind of like living life, doing seminars, making good money, doing that. Um, and then we kind of realized that the business partner that Tamron had, uh, which was her old boyfriend, but also her business partner and that relationship wasn't weird. It was just like, he wasn't aligned with who we were as gym owners. Uh, he wanted to go off and do like move Nat stuff and like weird things and kind of head his way from CrossFit. So we were like, we're going to either need to create our own thing here or go somewhere else. Um, so we decided to, like, I went and taught a seminar with Jason Kalipa, uh, mm-hmm. and I flew to the States to teach a seminar. Cause I was doing most of them in Australia and New Zealand. And, uh, when I was out there and then I flew back to the States and I taught one with Jason and he was speaking about opening up another gym, but he's like, I just don't have the coaches to do so. But I was like, if I moved back, would you, would you want me to run it? And he's like, I do it in a heartbeat. And I was like, genuinely. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, all right. So he's in the Bay area here. I'm born and raised in Santa Cruz. And I was like, if I move back to Santa Cruz, I could commute over the Hill. Uh, and then, you know, we could potentially have a lot of opportunity. There's also headquarters for HQ uh, for CrossFit was here. So I was like, maybe there's more opportunity for me there. Um, so I ended up, uh, talking to my wife and we decided to sell her part of the business in New Zealand, uh, to the owner there. And all in all, I think, he got a great deal. I think yeah. she he yeah. bought her out for like 80 grand New Zealand, which isn't that much. And their, and their gym was thriving. Like amazing gym. And, yeah. and you know, yeah. just like everything was on self-pay. They were like 270 bucks a month. Like it was like a, it was a really good gym, cool place, great community. Um, the, but a lot of what holds that together is the owners and coaches. And, yeah. you know, yeah. I'm a relatively strong personality and so is my wife. So when yeah. those... Yeah those things get removed from a space. It doesn't always thrive the same way. So yeah. Um and not to say it was all us. I know times change and things go on. But we she sold her gym there. Um we moved over here and we started renting on the coast. And I was driving over the hill and running we opened up NorCal CrossFit, um uh Santa uh, Santa Clara mm-hmm. and that was our gym. And uh I started running this I don't know if anybody remembers the old NorCal CrossFit, but Jason calls me up one day. So like he had said all this stuff, and and he was like, "Hey, I'm looking for a space for you, and uh, squ- it's like three dollars a square foot anywhere I can find. And would you be okay with like a thousand square foot space? It's in a good location, and blah, blah blah." I'm like, "I mean, yeah, but that's gonna be hard to run like stuff out of." And I don't hear from him for like two weeks, so things are getting a little weird. And then he like messages me, and he's like, "I found a space," and I was like, "How big is it?" And he's like, it's 30,000 square feet. And I was like, I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, it's like 30,000 square feet. I was like, are you, are you adding a, like a wrong zero in there? Like what's <laughs> happening right now? No no, 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 Check it out. Check it out. And so there was this, his buddy who's like born into like crazy family money, had this old gym, which was an, it was like a Bay club. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it was a racquetball club that was 30 and, and gym. So like, yeah. It was like you walk in, there's this huge entryway. There's an office below, office up above, and then it's 10 racquetball courts. Wow. one, two, three, four, five mm-hmm. like big, open racquetball courts down this like corridor yeah. and like a full-on crazy bathroom, and the thing's been vacant for like 15, 20 years. It closed down forever. And then in the back of it, there's and in the back of it, there's this big wide open space that used to be a, a basketball court. yeah. And he was like, "We'll make this the gym," and I was like, "All right, like let's see what happens, man." And so it was just like old and grungy, but the size, and there was no gyms that were that size at the time. Yeah. Um, and he got this like under the table cash deal, and you know we slid in and and uh, we moved out and and just gutted that place and opened up the doors and just started training people. Um,
2: when was this? Whenabouts?
1: This was 2012.
2: 2012
1: so this so, was 2012
2: so, yeah so, so there's there's so much here that like it would be easy to just listen and like to the dulcet tones of your voice as you <laughs> as you r- recall this i i want for anyone who's listening to this or watching this I, I want to go back and pull a couple pieces out because you did some things organically as you were saying that are so incredibly important for people who want to be deliberate about what they're doing. Right. Yeah. So you, first of all, you were young, you yeah. kept your expenses minimal, whether, whether you cared about that or not. Right. There was an advantage there. Right. Yeah. You were willing to work, um, not with the guarantee of receiving compensation, but like that thing where Tony was like, yeah, if, I'll, I'll let you edit video. And if it gets posted to main site, like you'll get money. Oh, yeah. So right away, there's an incentive to not be bad. You know, yeah. like you, you only get paid if, if you're good at what you did, you know. So like there's a meritocracy type thing yeah. baked into that.
1: And that was um, the same way with the coaching too. It was like, yeah, you can open up a class. Who see, Who knows if anyone will show up? Right. Like, Oh, that's a great question. I don't know.
2: <laughs> and so like, you know, like you got, you got your buddies, you know, the SpongeBob checks, like you have one person who shows up paying you per class, which yeah. is unheard of. Right. I mean, this is, I mean, this, you and I both know this is the original model is essentially personal training yeah. done with more than one person. Yeah. You know, and you, so you, 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 you were your own brand and that is so foreign to, the experience is so many of some, almost all coaches nowadays. And so you had to be personable. You had to advertise, you had to literally go out and hustle to try to find more people to pull into these things. There was no, no one's handing you 12 people in a class or anything like that. No. Uh, And this, you know, seeing an opportunity and being willing to make big moves, not with a guarantee. But seeing where it could go, right? And, you know, credit to Rory, who saw where that role that he took over for you could go, you know? And this thing with with Kalipa and like moving back to the Bay Area, that's, I mean, knowing what I know now, that's ridiculous to be like, yeah, Yeah. let's take a 30,000 square foot empty box and make it a gym. But, but knowing what I know now, like, that's the kind of thing you want. Cause you're going to make it into like, you know, CrossFit gym and three other spaces and you're going to have 500 members, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely astounding that, you know, from kind of organically that you are folding into this. So you've got seminars that you're doing with. Um, HQ, were you still doing customer service for again, faster throughout this? I was,
1: I was, so here's <laughs> what it would do. Like, so I st- I was still doing that. And, and what would happen is like it, the gym was about an hour away from my house. Uh, it's over this notoriously windy road called highway 17. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'd, we'd, uh, wake up in the morning, uh, at like five, my yeah. wife and I, we'd jump in the car, we'd drive over the hill and one of us would coach the 6am class and the other would do computer work um in one of the offices uh then we'd coach a 6 a.m class 7 a.m class uh and then one and then we would switch and another person would coach the 8 a.m class yeah Um, so we had six seven eight right when we opened um and then the other person would go in and do computer work so i'd usually log on to again faster from 8 a.m till about 3 p.m and then uh taz class taz would coach the so i'd cut some of my hours back from them just because i needed to run a gym yeah <laughs> uh, it turns and out then, that's
2: really important
1: yeah yeah <laughs> and then uh and so we, we would we would i would like in between making phone calls doing quotes and just kind of being on call i would uh work from like 8 a.m answering emails and all what, whatnot till about noon mm. i would train around 12 1 uh uh, so 12 to like two, I'd be training cause we were competing at the time. Right. Uh, and then around three, I'd start coaching again. I'd usually coach the three 35, 36, 30. Uh, so there'd be, you know, all morning code, like a couple classes in the morning, uh, all night. And sometimes, you know, Taz and I would flip flop on those, uh, and where- how we would do mm-hmm. them. So we were a two person gym initially, uh, running all the classes. And I was also running my other business and, uh, or not other business. We were, I was working for again, faster and, yeah. That's how we were living. And like the, I think the wages that Jason promised us is like the, that's some of the hard things is like with Jason, there was a lot of promises that were not kept. Like mm. we were supposed to get a lot of ownership in the gym and we were, we were supposed to be able to like, once we quit, we would get paid out for the number of months that we were there. Like there was just these, uh, at, like at our final salary, right. <laughs> it was like, there was these amazing opportunities we were given that unfortunately got pulled away from us. Cause we, we, uh, I didn't want to like take him to court for it or something like that. Yeah. So uh, it, it was better to just kind of leave, but we, he, he was like, Hey, we'll pay you $3,000 a month. And I was like, well, Taz gets $3,000. I'll get $3,000 and I'm yeah. making my money from HQ uh, and I'm making my money from, from, uh, you know, uh, again, faster. <sighs> We're going to be loaded, man. Like, right. so, And then, you know, 3000 gets taxed heavily and you end up with like 1700 a month from that. <laughs> then, oh, yeah, man. And then in, you're living in Santa Cruz, so your rent's 2500 bucks a month for a one-bedroom house. And then, uh, and and it was just like, and you're driving over the hill an hour every day. So yeah. like there's this crazy yeah. stuff. Um, 2500 10 years ago. It was, you know, it was... <sighs> It was ten, yeah, I know. Right now, a uh, one bedroom house on the, the cliff right there is like 3500 now. It's crazy. Um, so we ended up uh, doing that for a while. Taz got pregnant almost right away. So uh, it was actually – it was the first day that – so I came over like two weeks earlier. Yeah. Uh, and the first day she got here was the day she got pregnant. Uh, super. Got yeah, I mean – you know, I kind of blame her because it was one of those things where it was like, it was one of those things where it was like post-coitus. She's like, oh, hey, by the way, I stopped taking birth control. And I was like, sure, would have loved to have known that, you know, 48 seconds ago. right? Um, <laughs> and, and, uh, and she's like, no, no, don't worry about it. I've been on birth control a long time, so it'll, it'll take a long time. And sure, it was like, one sure. i done. Here we yeah. go. Uh, you know, I'm like 26 at the time, 27, and yeah. not the yeah. greatest yeah. human of all time. Uh, and uh, you, we had just got engaged and we were like, you know, we've been together for like a few years, but I'm so thankful that we got pregnant and I'm so stoked to have a child, but I had to do a lot of growing in order for that to be a a good thing. Yeah. Um, anyway, so lots of stressors were happening. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Taz is getting pregnant, doing all this stuff growing. She's a car sick every morning. We're coaching these classes. We're running the gym. We're building it up. Um, and we're just kind of like getting by and, uh, In reality, we grew the gym really quick. Like the location was really good. The, 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 what we brought to Jason's organization, Jason is like a hype man. He's a really good at finding business. He's really good at like throwing a party but he had no idea how to run business systems. Uh, He didn't know if he was making money or losing money. He just knew if there was money in his bank account at the end of the month, then things were good. Uh, And so he also didn't know how to structure a program long-term. So, you know, he would just think of the program the day before and be like, oh, tomorrow we should go, you know, like, and (laughs) and so like, for for some reason, every Monday was back squats. And it's like, cause every Sunday night he'd be sitting around being like, what do I want to do tomorrow? Dude, back squats down. Great. You know, so he like- did
2: the programming too? <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. He did everything for his gyms. And when we came on board, that was like part of the rules. We were like, Hey man, we're going to take over programming. Yeah. We're going to yeah. take over this. We can run our business this way and blah, blah, blah. So Taz had already run a super successful business. She had all yeah. the spreadsheets and all the email chains and mm-hmm. all the, you know, the, the actual business structure. And so she put that all into place at our location when we came i ran coaching and taz wrote the programming and lesson plans so she was the real brain behind it and i was mm-hmm. kind of the grunt who went out and did all the work mm-hmm. um and that model proved to be really successful it was like you know within within not very long we had hundreds of members right like hundreds mm-hmm. of members walking through the door uh and from we started pulling members from his other gym that was there we started pulling members from all the other local gyms in the area and like cross it was a good time so with with you know, not too long into it, we had you know 350 members or whatever it was, mm-hmm. um, and and with that came the need for a lot more coaches. Uh, and so what we had done is like we had identified members who showed potential in coaching, mm-hmm. and we would we would kind of foster that. We would take coaches that were potential members, and we would bring them in and teach them how to coach a little bit. And there was no mm-hmm. such thing as like coaching development at the time. We right. would just be like, okay do what we do you know yeah. and like try to try to emulate that um but Jason was continuing to grow the business so what he would do is he would go and find new business and he'd go and get a corporate account or he'd go open a new gym or he'd go do one of these things and then he'd be like so how are we going to make this work <laughs> and I'd be <laughs> like well, well we have these coaches and cuz we had been creating these really good coaches and this good team and he basically every coach that we made he'd go take and then he'd put them in another gym So I kept on having to make new coaches. Taz and I had to keep making new coaches. Well, the upside is you
2: get really good at making coaches.
1: Exactly. So that's what ended up happening is uh, after enough time, like it was really clear that all of the coaches were coming from our facility. I mean, we had, we had, I mean, there was a couple maybe from other facilities, but for the most part, they were funneling through our, our gym, even though we Mm -hmm. had four in the Bay Area. Yeah. And so once the company had grown big enough and Jason had this this en- enough revenue, he was like, let's make you and Taz full-time coaching, uh, or mm-hmm. sorry, full-time coaching development. Yeah. So Taz was in mm-hmm. charge of planning, programming, across and structure across all the gyms, as well as some back-end stuff, as well as helping with coaching development. And then my role was full-time coaching development. Um, and that ended up being like, cause we kept on getting pay raises here and there, you know, as we were going through, as our gym started to get more successful, we're making $4,000 a month each and then $5,000 a month each. And, uh, then it was like, I think, uh, he was like, okay, well you do coaching development and you can make 75,000 when you start a, a year and yeah. Taz will make 75,000. And it was like, great, you know, like now all of a sudden we've got, we're making 150K, yeah. which is just from that, which made it so I didn't have to work for again, faster anymore. Yeah. So inevitably in my life, there comes these times where I'm doing many things and I'll have to let go of one, yeah. which is cool. But mm. then a giant chunk of revenue falls and oh, yeah. I have to build it up with other things. And and that's just, that's just a reality. Like, in, and as long as I'm still living relatively budget, Things are okay.
2: Um, I I love how you're highlighting, though, like, this isn't a situation where you just showed up and Jason's like, you seem like a bright young fellow and hands you 75K. Like, (laughs) you you had worked to distinguish yourself, and you had, and especially, like, the back-end work, like, there was a whole, there was a boatload of experience both you and Taz showed up with, and you're like... We know the systems that are required to operate a facility of this level, right? Yeah. And for anyone who doesn't know those systems, you probably want to go to a facility like that and be like, Hey, can I intern here and learn this stuff? Yeah. Like you were able to take that and put it into practice and the coaching your classes, I mean, they take up hours, but yeah. I would say it's probably 50% or less of the amount of time you actually spent working on the facility or working at the facility. Correct. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So important little details that I don't want to, I don't want to leave glossed over. So you're making 150 K you got to start saying no to things because you've got, you know, opportunities, but also too little time in the day. Yeah. And so we have a kid now, and Uh, and there's that, you know, they take up a little
1: bit of time. Yeah, but we're we're also we're also managers now, so like we yeah. can set up. Okay, I'm going to work in the morning and I'm going to be off in the evening, or I'm yes. going to work in the evening. I'm going to be off in the morning. It's no longer this long spans of day where it's like you got to do this. You know, yeah. we're also simultaneously yeah. competing in CrossFit and going to the games and doing regionals and like we're we're like pretty heavily involved in all that. And I'm also still teaching on the weekends, mm-hmm. probably one to three weekends a month, depending. Like there was actually an uptick in the number of seminars that I was doing. Yeah, um, and with the revenue coming through that we had uh we looked at our income and we're like you know what we can we can do an fha loan and buy a house and an fha yep. loan if nobody looks at it it's like a first-time homeowner's loan yep. um and you can put five percent down instead of 20 percent down and we're like i had never thought in my life i'd own a house because like i'd never my family had never owned homes and i was like i live in santa cruz the the like a house that sucks costs six hundred thousand dollars, and i was yeah. like that's just how much houses cost yeah. And I didn't think that anywhere else cost less than that. And then I started – guys on staff were, like, buying houses and telling me about about it. And I'm like, are you getting paid more than me? Like, what the hell? He's like, <laughs> like, he's like, yeah, I bought, like, a three-bedroom place on a lake last weekend and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, what?
2: Right. What are you getting
1: paid, man? In, he's like, in the
2: middle of nowhere.
1: And he's like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, how much it cost? 70 grand. I'm like, what? What the yeah. hell are you talking about? Yeah, so I didn't realize that California was what it is. <laughs> But we, we, we essentially found this like awesome, you know, we were looking all over, putting, you know, bids in and mm-hmm. things are falling through and mm-hmm. it's all going haywire and, and people are coming in with cash at 100K over asking. And yeah. we ended up finding this house that was like a 10,000 square foot plot, which is big, two, you know, three bedroom, two bathroom house, the two story, you know, 10 minute walk from the beach. Mm-hmm. And this woman, it was like her family home. She got it in a divorce. Mm -hmm. Uh, and she had raised her kids there and we showed up with my son and they, and, uh, our Taz was, I think pregnant again with our second Mm -hmm. and she met us and she loved us. And she's like, I want you guys to have it. Um, and so we put in an offer at six eighteen, which was like, you know, $2,000 less than the six twenty she was asking for. And she was like, I'll do it, but you have to keep the hot tub. And I'm like, Oh, okay
0: right. i'll pull my arm yes. How dare you? you know
1: like and uh we just like limped into this house you know like and we had the mortgage insurance and it was like it was oh, like you know fi- over well over 50 percent of our income was going towards this mortgage yeah but all of a sudden we're no longer renting that money's going towards paying down a mortgage mm-hmm. which changes yeah. the game when it comes to uh, where you're building equity and how you're building equity. And if you know anything about what California's done since then, yeah. it just, it was huge simultaneously to this, that all goes down. We're doing our job. And then in like 2015, uh, I, I was like this program that we're running at NorCal, we should be offering this to more people. Yeah, no, they're nobody like like people were doing individual programming, mm-hmm. but nobody was giving gyms help. They were nobody was being mm-hmm. like, this needs to be. And I was like, this is working. We have we have 22 mm-hmm. gyms around the world. We have 90 coaches under our wing and we've yeah. got generally a consistent delivery and product across this. And part of this mm-hmm. is my wife's mm-hmm. lesson plans and programming. Mm-hmm. And I was like, we need to make this global. We need to give people the access to this. So I went to Jason and I was like, should we do this? Should we launch this affiliate thing and help affiliates out? And he's like, no, man, there's no money in that. And I was like, <laughs> okay. I was like, can I do it? Like, because if you don't want to be involved and you want don't want to put the NorCal brand on it, that's okay. But can I do it? And he's like, yeah, sure, man. As long as it doesn't distract you from the stuff you're doing here. And I was like, okay. So, <laughs> so yeah. And, but I had a friend at the time. Um, well, I still have him as a friend, um, but he, he's, He was developing, he was a web developer and he had just, he self-taught and he and his wife, his uh, fiance is a, uh, she does design and she does copywriting and she's Mm -hmm. kind of in that space. So they did a bunch of web stuff and they were kind of like virtual nomads traveling around and doing stuff. And I I reached out to him and told him my idea. And I was like, do you think we could make this? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, I can't pay you, but I could give you 40% of the revenue of whatever the company makes. Should it do something? And he was like, all right, let's do it. So we basically dug into creating a website that, and because there was no like train heroic where you could sell programming, there was no Watify or SugarWad where there, you could like plug in a program that didn't get, right. But Beyond the Whiteboard was the only thing, and they they didn't sell other people's program. They just had like .com in there, or you could put your own program in there. Right? So platforms didn't exist like this, so we needed to build that. And my buddy built an ability to do so, a subscription based system where we could do that through our own channel and deliver programming to affiliates. So we launched after like a month of building and doing all the stuff and writing the copy and building the website, we launched warm up and workout. Um, And in the very first month we had like 11 people sign up and it was a website. So there was no overhead other than the the developers and they were making 40% of the profits and we're like, bro. all of a sudden we had a successful business because we were the first in the space and, uh, yeah. and didn't really do any marketing. And I didn't have a huge name in social like my, like Jason's half a million people. And I was sitting over there with like 10,000 followers. Like, yeah, this is cool. Yeah, but right. we were the first and, and it, we ended up growing warm up and workout and it started picking up and we had then 20 members and then we had 30 members and then 40 members. And eventually we had like, 110 members and paying 225 a month. And we were making 60% of that with no overheads. And we were like, this is awesome. And we were still working for Jason. But what ended up happening is with Jason, we ended up having a falling out over CrossFit. Like he didn't believe in CrossFit anymore and he wanted to start doing more corporate stuff. And I believed in CrossFit. Um, So there was this, my Taz had to quit at one point in time because it was just not working anymore. So we lost $75,000 a year. Yeah. And then, and then I got to a point where I was like, I can't do this anymore. But I looked at our life and we're like, we don't need that much money to live. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. It's going to be hard if I quit, but, but we'll be okay. And we can travel if we want to. Yeah. So like I let go of a, you know, $75,000 and suddenly we're making nothing from Jason. So I quit doing that. Uh, I was still coaching level ones. Yeah. And I was like, how can I make some more money? And Airbnb was just becoming a thing. And mm-hmm. I lived in Santa Cruz and I had a garden shed in my backyard and I was like, I could build it and do an Airbnb. Yeah. So I didn't know how to build, but my dad's built. So he came over <laughs> and we took this garden shed and built a, a bathroom and a kitchenette onto it.
2: Uh, and then amazing. I listed it on
1: Airbnb for a hundred bucks a month and it got booked the day we started. And it was booked every day since it was booked a hundred bucks a night. and We were making $3,000 a month off of a garden shed. In my backyard. Amazing. <laughs> and so, and then we were doing that while working online, and we realized mm-hmm. we didn't need to be yeah. in any specific place. So yeah. we're like, you know what? Let's travel the world. I'll ask for seminars around the world, and we'll go travel where I where I where we where I get these seminars. Yeah. That's so what we did, and we had two kids at the time, and we did this world travel for like seven months, and rented out our house and made money while we were gone because we had the house. Yeah. Yeah. We we so we, we we rented it for more than our mortgage was worth, as well as we made them run the Airbnb, and it was like, and they were getting a deal because it was less than than uh, <laughs> normal rent in the area. And I was yeah. like, this is it was it was bizarre how how well my life has worked. Mm-hmm. I, I, again, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm very 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 lucky, yeah. but at the same time, I've said yes to so many opportunities and like been in these weird situations and been like. I need to figure something
2: out. Um, and that's and specific, a, go ahead, Lisa.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, you know, it's it's going back to what we spoke about earlier. It's saying yes to the opportunities and being prepared to work. And mm-hmm. say this is just a means to an end right now. But, mm-hmm. you know, I see a bigger picture, like you scraped together the money for the mortgage, but you knew that paying down a mortgage was better than just paying rent and, you know, basically paying to have somewhere to store your DVD collection. And and if you didn't know how to do something, like, okay, that's a skill I need to acquire. And you didn't just go, dude, I'm a professional coach. Like, just, just pay me to coach. Like, you were like, these are things I need to do. Regardless of before you had kids or after, but it's having that, you know, that growth mindset that, okay, I can create what I need to, by putting in the work, a lot of people would look at you and go, well, Pat Barber, you know, he's been a, I want to be like him. He's been on seminar staff and he's been, you know, he, he runs his online programming thing and he's, he's, you know, whatever. And thought that everything has just been, you know, filtered down from a golden handshake, but hearing your story, it's like <laughs> so little of your revenue has come from, you know, coaching classes mm-hmm. is, compared to using your knowledge and your skills and your, and your ability to learn to yeah. put yourself in the position to be lucky. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would say that's a fair assessment. And, and what's interesting is like, I mean, you, you guys are talking to me now, which is a very interesting time in my life. Cause like, you know, COVID crapped on a lot of things like, yeah. uh, and mm-hmm. especially gyms. And we were a gym consulting company that was already trend. So like when we were the first ones in the space, we were known, but now the space is so saturated yeah. and we believe in something really strongly that not everybody does. Like we believe in one workout a day. We believe in a coach-led mm-hmm. thing. And a lot of people want two workouts a day, seven workouts a day, strength Metcon every day, blah, 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 mm-hmm. They want it more complex and blah, 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 blah. And we, are, we do what we do because we believe it's the best. I'm not gonna change in order to, I'm not gonna change what I do as a program and what I sell yeah. to something I don't believe in because it's going to potentially make me more money Sure. because that Mm. to me is under under under, undermining my moral structure. And that's just not okay for me. So I've always been satisfied with my values. However, Mm. that puts you in financial stress. (laughs) Like, (laughs) so we, we, we had our house that we had previously bought. We travel, do the world, do the whole thing. In like 2019, we realized that we had like our house that appreciated to, 900,000, 930,000. Like we, it appreciated $300,000 in, in, in the time that we had owned it, which was nothing. Right. Like we had barely owned the house. And all of a sudden we had $300,000 in equity. Right. And I found this cause had always want to be in the country. We always wanted to have like land and animals and mm. property. And, and I found this house like 15 minutes down the road from where I currently lived. That was gorgeous. And the house sucked. It was a tear down. It was like a full teardown but the property was five acres with fruit trees and a pool that was dark green at the time and like all these other things and i was like sure Dude. and there was a there was an acre of bamboo in the backyard and we Ooh. i drove up to it and i was like oh, this has so much potential and uh and we put in a low ball offer contingent upon us selling our house yeah and we didn't even have our house on the market nor ready to sell and right. it accepted the offer and then we had 14 days to list and sell our house. And we were like, let's freaking go. So we, we listed and sold our house in like 13 days. And we ended up rolling in. And now we, we have this five acre property that was just, we just have had to work on it, work our yeah. asses off mm. on it straight since 2019 till now. Yeah. Um, we didn't have a kitchen for eight months. Like, we I had to gut mm. the entire kitchen and we were cooking on a camp stove in our living room. Um, with when we had just had our third baby.
0: <laughs> I think I remember watching on Instagram the great epic uh, tomes of bamboo clearing, which, you know, were some <laughs> epic <laughs> videos of here's where I started and here's where I finished. But isn't that reflective of a mindset? Even like when you, um, say, went into the space with, with Kalipra, it's like instead of going, oh, this is this is a lot of work, it's like this has so much potential. and seeing that potential and then going, okay, I'm going to do the work for it. So you didn't get a, you know, nice brick and tile home with, you know, everything done. It's like a lot of people would have driven up there and gone up too much work. You're like, this has potential. You didn't see the work. You saw the potential and the same as that, that huge facility. It's like, this has huge potential rather than, well, how's a CrossFit gym going to work in here? It's like and creating obstacles to trip yourself up. So you know, that's another example of having that, you know, that, that growth mindset of what's the potential here if I put in a bit of elbow grease yeah, and but not being I, afraid it, to do that work.
1: I think that comes with a confidence in self and, and like, and I, I don't know how to do any of these things. Like I've had right. to learn how to do them. but, but, but I think that the thing is I'm willing to try. I'm willing to be mm-hmm. like, let's give it a shot. You know, yeah. like let's, let's try to do this laminate flooring. Cause it saves me $7,000 if I do it myself. Mm-hmm. And so halfway mm. through the floor, I'm like, I know a lot more now than when I did halfway ago. So I sure wish I could have known this now because that to redo it. But, but then that gives me the confidence to be like, well, then I'll try to do this electrical or I'll try yeah. to do this plumbing mm-hmm. job or I'll try to And it's like, I think that's one of, that's the best gift my parents gave me. Um, my mom was an incredibly loving uh, overly loving i would say to the point of like i could do no wrong but that gave me like a almost inflated sense of i can do this right um and i've never i've never looked at something and been like nah like i, I would i remember always i always used to <laughs> i didn't like watching sports i didn't like watching like football and professional baseball because i was like you give me like a year, I could be on that field, you know. Like, <laughs> like, and I, I genuinely, <laughs> I genuinely thought that, you the know, the hubris of youth. But, but, and yeah. that was, and that's how I've, I've kind of approached all of the, the, the challenges that I have with, yeah. with, uh, you know, parenting and having a property like this, and
0: I, I think it's just be, been fun. Be an interesting statement you just made, saying, you know, not just watching the professional sports and going, yeah, bruh, I can do that. It was more like give me a year and I could be on that team. So you oh, yeah. <laughs> even though you thought you could do something, you still knew it would take work rather than having that entitlement of going, mm-hmm. Well, you know, my mother said I could do and be anything, so give me the jersey, put me in coach, I'm ready to go. Rather than like yeah. give me a year. Yeah. So you, you've you've always identified with the work aspect that it takes, not just assuming that you're gonna walk in and be amazing.
1: Yeah, totally. And what's what's interesting is like I don't know where that comes from because I, I, I am, I recognize when I'm not good at something, you know, like I recognize pretty deeply, like I'll go to do it and I'll be like, I, am, I didn't do well at that one, you know? And, and it's, uh, it, when I was younger, it was harder for me to see and I, do it, I, I see, my, see it a lot more now, yeah. um, but it, you know, I don't know, I don't know where that, the, the, the work side of it came in. I guess my parents, they, they, they must've modeled that for me. I mean, my, my, my dad worked like four jobs. My mom worked like three jobs and they were uh, just so we could go to like nice little schools and stuff. Yeah. Um, And it was never like explicitly spoken, but it was just, that's what they did. It was the
2: water you swam in.
1: Exactly. Mm -hmm. That was, yeah. And again, sorry. Like, this is a time that like is, is honestly, probably I have the most responsibility in my life. Like, like I have. Uh, this, this million dollar fixer-upper home and I have uh, four children and I have six, do- you know, six dogs and mm. 22 chickens and cats and like, and, uh, but even when, when I work it back, like I'm like, okay, say I can't make something work here. Yeah. Like say I can't mm. fix it. The worst case scenario is I, like literally absolute worst is I sell my house and I moved to yeah. New Zealand I live with my brother-in-law who has three houses in New Zealand that we could rent while we got back on our feet. Yeah. You know, yeah. or I mm-hmm. sleep on my brother's couch. Like these things, mm-hmm. like I, my worst case scenario is better than so many people's best case scenario. And it's, some of it works, some of it doesn't. Right. Uh, but in addition to that, I went to EMT school and I'm applying to be a firefighter. And and I I was like, fuck it. We got a brand new kid. Might as well do a 10 week EMT course. And (laughs) I'm still teaching level ones. And, and the, the stuff, the affiliate stuff is, is starting to work and people are seeing it. We're becoming more relevant and I'm making content that's meaningful to me and people are enjoying it. And uh, Mm -hmm. like I just started, I'm going to probably start a a coaching development uh, mentorship program and yeah. And I just like launched a thing for it because I want to see how well it would work. And yes. I just, I just put that out on social media yesterday. I'm getting a great response. So like, I don't know, mm. I, I think you need to have times in your life where you're struggling and grinding and, you know, waking up early, going to bed late and working all freaking day yeah. and not making mm. much money. And then realize that that might not be something you want to do. So sit in that moment and go, look, how much money do I need to make? Where is there opportunity? And if I don't, and no one's going to give me the opportunity, what can I do? How can Mm. I figure, like, I would love it if someone gave me the opportunity, but Mm. (laughs) it's never been given. It's always, I've had to ask or like, and we've started, I I didn't even mention this. We've started like seven or eight businesses during Mm. this time that just straight up failed. Like we start them, Mm. we launch them. We had a couples program called yoked where it was yeah. like bring with your partner, your, 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 and I was like, this is going to be awesome. Got like four members. You know, we had one called outside the box that we did with brute strength. We had yeah. uh, a mentorship for families that we were doing for a little bit. We were trying to run on a social media family side thing because we love that. We, yeah. like we've tried so many things that it just like straight up failed. If anything lost us, we've launched different parts of our own business that just failed. Yeah. Um, and it's disheartening, but, and you see people, I see people that are, I don't, that I know personally that I don't think are offering very much value, yeah. but have a very attractive sale um, thriving. And I, I watch them and I'm like, gosh, darn it.
0: <laughs> like
1: I must be terrible because they're doing I, so well.
0: That does, I, you know, before we jumped on the call, we talked about, you know, some of those limiting beliefs that come around, like you said, you know, you struggle when it comes to asking for more money, which, yeah. you know, many coaches yeah. in the space do, whereas some people don't and they can, you know, offer you a shit sandwich and go, you know, this is, you know, gourmet and, you know, charge a premium for it. And you're like, it's a shit sandwich, but they've just sold it to me because they know how to do that. <laughs> yeah. And you go, yeah, I'm yeah. just going to take it. Like, thank you. And I'll take all my money. Whereas... Yeah you know, those of us who are invested in coaching and just, you know, we're here to help people and we want to make the world a better place. It's like, uh, just give me what you can afford. Just, and that's a struggle in regard to them. We're trying to create this revenue and, and create things like you said, as mm. an entrepreneur and you go, well, how come yours is working and mine's not when I know that mine is quality and aligns with my values it yeah. can be you know a really frustrating place to be in i guess it is yeah. it is
2: 100% yeah. frustrating place I, I really appreciate the fact that you mentioned that there are many other iterations of things that you have tried and were not successful mm. and i saw i saw this posted yesterday i think it was it was a it was a, a business owner, um layla hormozy alex hormozy's wife and yeah. she was like we need to move away from the concept of um, if there's a problem with my business, then there's a problem with me to, if there's a problem with my business, that's just business. Like, that's just the nature of businesses. And, you know, most people who are entrepreneurs, I mean, the, the average length of, uh, I think, what is it? 99% of all small businesses fail within the first year. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, average number that extend beyond like a year to three years is like a fraction of a percentage point. And like, that's, that's normal, you know? And so the highlight reel that we often see on social media, and I I absolutely understand the not wanting to, but having to be involved in social media as a mechanism, like the highlight reel that we see is it's not built to show that kind of thing, nor I think is that rewarded either from a, an attention standpoint or algorithmically. Um, and yet it's it's so common. It's something that everybody can, and at least anybody who's tried something like this, any iteration of something like this can relate to. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean- so yeah, go on, Pat.
1: No, no, no. I was just thinking like I, I uh, we got lucky with our first one, you know, when we launched that business and it was like right time, right place, right product. And all of a sudden we had revenue month one. And I was like, huh, I'm not a piece of shit.
2: You know, But you, <laughs> you also like you did the thing <laughs> that everybody hopes to you, like you identified a need in the space and you right. crafted a product to fill that need. And yes, oh my God, is the market saturated nowadays, <laughs> yeah, that's but yeah. But it doesn't yet. Yeah, it is crazy to think about, but it doesn't mean that there aren't opportunities. And oh there's plenty of
1: opportunities. Exactly.
2: Yeah. And yeah. so even as a even as a guy, and so anyone who's listening or watching, this is a person who has I'm gonna make some assumptions here. Pat has probably failed at more more things than a lot of people have tried. <laughs> and
1: yeah, that's I, was, and I mean that as a compliment. And I mean it
2: with all of the love in the world. Yeah. But it it's like you if you go for something and you have a 1% shot at success, that is still greater than the none percent shot at success Mm -hmm. that you have. If you don't attempt anything.
1: Totally. Totally. And I, what's, what's interesting though, is I think that it's, it's, it's becoming harder and harder to, to pursue things like this when, when, how should I say this? I think the nature of, our age that we're in Mm -hmm. where gratification is so quick and we're so stimulated so often by devices and screens and Mm -hmm. self-help and blah 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 like there's an expectation that things are quick and and that expectation is not necessarily what people say it's more in Mm -hmm. how we live everything we want is at the tip of our fingers so it's it's so when something doesn't happen right away and something doesn't succeed right away, it's, it's really confronting and it's really yeah. easy to want to leave. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I, I wonder what, you know, future generations will, will how much grit they'll have. Um, yeah. Like I, I almost feel like people who have nothing right now are in a better place than people who have a lot.
2: Um, yeah, My wife right. will tell you that is the case right now. My wife works in uh, very high level college admissions counseling. And she says, you know, children who are applying to go into college, zero resilience, zero grit. They have no concept. And, and like, it, it's so confronting to use your words for them when they go from high school, where everything is structured and wrote into the applications process for American universities, where it's like, show us your unique self and they're like what the fuck are you talking about i haven't been unique for eight years yeah yeah i'm trying to be the ideal harvard applicant and they're yeah, like no no yeah. that's
0: not how it works yeah we want no. you uh, and you know i guess as we kind of we could talk all day on this and we kind of getting to the end of the episode because um i think it's would be good to get your insight pat on we direct this podcast to coaches, you know, who aspire to be professional coaches and, and being able to make a living from coaching. You know, we don't want coaches who are burnt out and broke. If you, you know, with your wise experienced head that you have now, um, you know, what is, if if there's a coach sitting out there and they've, they've done their levels and they're like, well, I should just get more like, and I can't understand why no one listens to me or, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not out there. Like what's some advice that you would, um, if, if they haven't got enough gold out of listening to you already, but what's, Mm. you know, a piece of advice that you give them moving forward to be able to make that sustainable life from coaching.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think step one is to define what a sustainable life is for you. And I think that was Mm. something that, that a lot of people don't do. I think, They look for grandeur and they're like, I'm going to achieve this. And you're like, what does that mean? Like what, uh, Mm -hmm. where, where are you going? So, so that could be very little. There's plenty of people who live on very little and are super stoked because Mm -hmm. they've just got a lifestyle that doesn't require excess. Um, and you could do that on just coaching classes. Like you definitely could do that on just coaching classes, uh, just because you live a a lower cost life. Um, if you want to live a higher cost life, if you're like, I want these things that require more income, uh, it shouldn't be a, like, yes, you could go from, I think you could pursue asking people for, Hey, give me this opportunity. Give me this raise, do these kinds of things. But, uh, and I, I think that that's not a bad channel to go. If you're in a, a, an environment that's set up to where there's structure mm-hmm. and you can go to those places, but a lot of the, the gym stuff is still kind of the wild west. I would say mm. I would say do your best to be like okay what kind of a thing would be scalable that I could that I could do how could I make this mm. kind of revenue you, you do have to like find ways to create it for yourself i mean the low hanging fruit is you know one on one high priced individuals like that's just that's mm-hmm. a low I mean, fruit for that's what all the like business mentors talk about is like do more one-on-ones and charge them for the sessions and buy it ahead of time. And it's like, yeah, if I can, if that's what you want to do. And like, you like that, do it. I mm-hmm. hate coaching one-on-ones. Mm-hmm. I hate it. I fucking hate it. I'm like, like, and, and, and it's like, that's the business advice that like every, you know, mentor gives yeah. that's like, yeah, sell them the high priced one-on-one cause you're worth it. And it's like, yeah, that might be true. So if you enjoy that, then do it. Yes. Then do it cuz mm-hmm. that that that's low hanging fruit. People want, will hmm. pay for good service and good back and forth. That is 100% true. I've known many coaches who do a fantastic job that it. it. Does a service to the gym, it does a service to the person and it does a service to yourself. Mm-hmm. Charge what you're worth hmm. and pursue those high high paying clients. But if you're like me and you don't like that, <laughs> you have to find You you have to find other stuff. You have to be like, okay, well, can I teach weekend events? You know, like, can Mm -hmm. I can I run a small group thing in a park and have no overhead and you know get a a group of moms? Can I go to the local school and run a kids program? Can I contract with local government to get a uh, in prison thing where I'm going into the prisons and working at the different prisons in my area, hosting 12 person classes with the inmates? Is there a drug rehab area that'll hire me to do? You know, small group coaching and uh, life mentorship with addicts who are recovering, like whatever it is. Like, there's many things you can do. It's Mm. just you gotta, Mm. you gotta, like maybe go in and do it for for very little money, and then see if you can get more money for it eventually. Yeah. Um, But I would say,
0: say
1: yeah, not being entitled is a big one. And like, like Chip, man, like you're. This job carries with it to me, one of the best starting things you could ever get, which mm. is it carries meaning right out the gate. Yeah, What mm-hmm. you're doing is meaningful on the like deepest possible level. You're living a life of service to other people. It doesn't yeah. carry financial gain right out the gate. It no, doesn't sense. carry, let me make a bunch of money and live a house and do these things. That doesn't carry that right out the gate. That has to be something mm-hmm. that you get down the road. But luckily it has a ton of meaning. So don't get walked all over. But if you if like first identify what is this income that's gonna be what you want, what's the lifestyle that you want? And then mm. you have to like, can I do that with what I'm doing right now? Or do I need to find mm. other opportunities? Do I need to make other opportunities? Do I need to ask for other opportunities? And then continue to pursue those things. And yeah. I, I wish I could be like, here's what you do, X, Y, Z. But it doesn't, mm. that's just not how it works. No. Yeah. Not in my experience, at least. <laughs>
2: But it's, but it's no. so, it can't be overstated, you know, start with defining enough, because if you don't define mm-hmm. enough, nothing will ever be enough, yeah, you know? Yeah. And that's, I mean, I've, Ryan Holiday was a, a great little bit. And I think it was, The Ego is the Enemy, uh, his yeah. book, <clears throat> where he's talking specifically about, you know, if you don't, if you don't define enough, you'll never get there and you'll just need more and more and more and more and more. Mm. And that's not sustainable, you know? Yeah dumping too much in and not getting anything out is not sustainable, but also seeking an endless return is also not sustainable.
0: And then you wind up just chasing shiny objects down various rabbit holes and winding up, you know, even more stuck and confused and more burned out. So yes. yeah. Thank you for your time today, Pat. As always, incredible um, privilege and, and pleasure to speak to you. We love chatting to you and I know that we will have you back again. Um, I know we promised to have you back on the at podcast and I'll get Tony pointed in that direction. We'll line that one up again as well. But thank you for your time. Have appreciated your candidness and your honesty and, um, you know, good luck moving forward.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you for having Thanks, me. Pat.